your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And he rose and he went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning, sitting in his chariot. Excuse me. He was sitting in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go up and join the chariot. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so he ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells the parable about the landowner who planted good seed in his field. Well, one night under the cover of darkness, one of his enemies came in and planted tares among the wheat. Well, when, the, when the, uh, his servants recognized what had happened, they reported to him, and they said, you want us to pull out the tares? Excuse me, I'm having a problem. Sorry. Do you want us to pull out the tares? And he said, no. It's too difficult right now to discern the difference between the tare and the wheat. You're liable to pull out a bunch of wheat. Wait until the harvest. Then it's easy to tell the difference. At the time of the harvest, the tares will all be bundled up and cast into the fire and burned. And the wheat will be gathered into my barn. Well, Jesus was explaining and describing The church, this is what you can expect the church to be like, the body of Christ. You can be sure our spiritual enemy is going to be very diligent to plant tares in among the wheat. 
In other words, there will be professing believers who don't know the Lord, who don't love the Lord, who do not sincerely desire to follow the Lord. But they're professing believers. Then there will be those believers who do know the Lord and do love the Lord and do desire to follow the Lord and serve the Lord. But we have not been given authority to try to figure out who's who, which is which. We haven't been given the authority to judge people's salvation. You're not a Christian. You are really saved. If you were really a Christian, you wouldn't act like that. You wouldn't have said that to that person. You wouldn't have done that. Because sometimes Christians who are saved have a bad day, you know, get in the flesh. So we really can't go around judging people's salvation. We are to wait until the harvest, the spiritual harvest, and the angels are the reapers, and they know the difference. And so the tares that are gathered in bundles and thrown into the fire represent the professing believers who don't know the Lord. There's been no repentance. There's been no conversion. And they're gathered up and cast into hell. The wheat that's brought into the landowner's barn, that represents the true believers who are brought into heaven. Well, here in Acts chapter 8, we have an example of both. We have Simon, who turns out to be a tear among the wheat, and then we have the Ethiopian eunuch, who turns out to be the wheat, the, the true believer. Simon was a magician, and we don't know if he used supernatural power from the occult, the powers of darkness, or if he was just a very skilled illusionist and nobody could figure out how he did his tricks, but he was extremely popular. Everyone was continually in awe of him and astonished at his magic art. So he was very popular and very prosperous, a good, strong, steady stream of, of income. But then when the apostles came along and the people began to see the true power of God, they could tell the difference. Hey, I never saw Simon open the eyes of the blind. I never saw Simon heal the lame so they could walk. I never saw Simon heal a leper. Never saw Simon cast out a demon. So all the people were caught up in following after the apostles to learn more about Christ. So Simon's losing his place. He's losing his popularity. He's losing his flow of income. So he wants to be a part of this. And so he makes a profession of faith and he even gets baptized. But there's a big difference between Simon and the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch uh, believes and is baptized. He goes his way rejoicing. Simon's heart is still filled with bitterness and he is still in the bondage of iniquity. And Peter realized that when Simon asked if he could pay money to get the power of the Holy Spirit that the apostles had. He offered him money. Not just to have the power to do genuine miracles, but to be like the apostles and be able to lay hands on people to give other people the power. I want to be that guy because I still want to be popular and I still want to be center stage. So if I pay you this money, will you give me that power? It was actually a common practice in those days for magicians to sell for a large sum of money, the secret to the tricks that they could do. And that's what he's doing. He's just following after his flesh. And there was a pretty dark period of church history 
when this kind of corruption entered the church. And there were men who would pay large sums of money to church leaders in return for a position of power and authority and esteem within the church. That practice later became known as simony after Simon because they were doing the same thing Simon did. And so God gave Peter spiritual discernment into Simon's heart. You're full of bitterness. You came to Christ for the wrong reason. You've always used people, manipulated people to get what you want for your personal gain. You thought you could use God, manipulate God to get what you want for your personal gain. And now that you don't get it, you're bitter. In your heart, I see the gall of bitterness and I see you're still in the bondage of iniquity. You haven't yet come to Christ. You haven't repented of your sins. You haven't been set free from the power of sin and iniquity over your life. And so in the church, there's always going to be those people. There's always going to be tares among the wheat, professing believers who came to the Lord for the wrong reason. Whatever the reason was, it was more for what they thought they could get for themselves from God, for their own personal gain or whatever from God, than to really allow God to use them for his will and his work. The Philippian, the Philippian, the Ethiopian eunuch, on the other hand, was a professing believer just like Simon, got baptized just like Simon, but it was a true conversion. This was a man who had a spiritual hunger for God. He came a long ways to Jerusalem to worship God, to find God, to know God. He traveled over a thousand miles from Ethiopia. And this was an important man. He was a high official in the court of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. He was the secretary of the treasury. But there were communities of Jews in that part of the world. And in many of those communities, there were also Gentiles, people of other races, who had come to know and believe in Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. And most commentators believe that it's because of the visit that the Queen of Sheba made to Solomon, to Jerusalem. She traveled from that area. Remember, Jesus said, from the ends of the earth, over a thousand miles just to meet Solomon. She had heard so many amazing things about him. And she was amazed at the beauty and glory of his kingdom and amazed at the God of Solomon, the God of Israel. She brought back the knowledge of the true and living God to her people. She brought back the knowledge of Judaism to her people. The name Ethiopia in Hebrew is Cush. Cush is the Hebrew name for Ethiopia. Well, Cush was the eldest son of Ham, who was the son of Noah. Now, Cush had two grandsons, Sheba and Dedan. And their tribes settled down in that region of the world, Western Arabia and Ethiopia. So that's why we know where the queen of Sheba was from. The descendants of Sheba settled there. And so she brought back the knowledge of God and the knowledge of Judaism. And so here's this Ethiopian who believes in God and has such a spiritual hunger, he travels all the way to Jerusalem during the feast days to worship God. 
and to try to learn of God and develop his relationship with God. He even purchases a scroll of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, so that he can learn more. Well, when God sees someone who has a spiritual hunger, I mean, sincere questions, they really want to know, God is going to go out of his way to bring someone to them who can clear up the confusion in their minds about God and spiritual things and answer their questions. And that's what we see here. God brings Philip to this man. And Philip's involved in a very successful ministry in Samaria. I mean, revival's breaking out in Samaria. Multitudes of people are coming to Christ through Philip's ministry, and yet God, through this angel, tells him to leave that area and that ministry and go down to the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza to minister to one man. Isn't that beautiful? The love that God has for every human being. The intense concern that God has for every soul. Now, there are some people who don't want to know. They don't want to read the Bible. They don't want to examine the evidence for faith because they don't want to know. Because if there is evidence for faith in God, even if God does exist, I don't care. I'm not going to worship him. Even if Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I don't care. I'm not going to follow him. So God's not necessarily going to go out of his way to reveal Christ to that kind of a person if it's, he knows it's not going to make any difference. But they shall seek me and they shall find me when they search for me with all their heart. That's a promise from God. If you're honest, seeker after truth. If you truly have a spiritual hunger, you're truly searching for God, you will find him. How can God make that promise? Because God's the one who's going to go out of his way to bring someone to share Christ with them and to answer their questions. Um, most of you had this happen in your own life, whether you realized it or not. God knew what you were going through. He knew that you were at a point in your life where you were searching, where you had some questions that were sincere, honest questions. And all of a sudden, here's this person in your life that can help you to understand God and the Bible and answer your questions. That wasn't coincidence. Just like Philip was right there as he's coming down the road, it's because God put him there. It wasn't coincidence. It was a divine appointment. Most of you experienced that at some point in your life. Whether you realize it at the time or not, God orchestrated the events of your life to bring the right person at the right time. Maybe what you were going through was something that person had been through and, and they could lead you and guide you through it and help you through it. But you see, that's the reason why we're here. Our job is to ask for and look for those divine appointments every day. That's what it means to be about our Father's business. Don't ever look at a chance meeting with somebody as a chance meeting. Always wonder, this could be a divine appointment. You get into a conversation and you're likely to find out that they're going through something that has made them more open to the gospel than they have ever been before. And it's probably something you've been through that you can relate to so that they can relate to you and listen to what you have to say. It's about looking for and praying for divine appointments and recognizing. 
There's no chance meetings with God. God is orchestrating the events of our lives. Dwight L. Moody was talking to a man. He just happened to run into some guy he knew and into the conversation. He just said, how's your soul? What's the condition of your soul? How are you with God? And the man looked at him and said, that's none of your business. And Moody said, may I politely, respectfully disagree? Because God has commissioned not just preachers and evangelists, but all believers to care about every soul, to care about where people are going to spend eternity, and, and to, to share the good news of forgiveness of sin and eternal life with every creature. And so, I'm sorry, but when my Lord comes back, I want to be found about my Father's business. I care about you. This is my business. And if we had that mentality, a lot of responsibilities, a lot of duties, a lot of things to keep in mind as we go through the day, but uppermost in our mind, I want to be found about my father's business. There are people that are struggling and going through difficult things and have fear in their hearts and have pain in their hearts and have sadness and sorrow in their hearts, and they are more open to the gospel, the love of Jesus, than they have ever been before. Can you imagine if all the believers in America were waking up every day going, God, could you orchestrate a divine appointment for me? Because I would love to share with somebody. Not get into an argument with somebody who doesn't care, but to share with somebody who's searching, who has honest questions like this. If, if, if we were all living our lives that way, we would see revival. The gospel would spread across this country like wildfire. So it was an angel that told Philip, leave here, go down to the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. Why didn't the angel just go tell the Ethiopian eunuch about Jesus? Because angels weren't commissioned for that purpose. The church has been commissioned. God has given us the word of reconciliation and he committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. So there he is. Perfect time, perfect place, right as the Ethiopian eunuch was coming by. And the spirit speaks to Philip and says, go up and talk to that guy. We are going to experience that. We're going to be somewhere, we're going to see somebody we know. Hey, look, I think that's Joe over there. And all of a sudden, we're going to feel this tugging on our heart. Go talk to that guy. Go talk to that guy. Oh, I don't know. I don't want to. But if we're obedient, just get into a conversation, find out what they're going through, where they're at in their life, there's a very good chance that they have some questions, that they have some confusion, that you are uniquely gifted to be able to clear up for them and to help them to know the Lord. So the Spirit tells him, go down there. So he goes down there, and here comes, he comes by in his chariot, and what's he doing? He's reading the scroll of the book of Isaiah. And he just happens to be in Isaiah 53. What a coincidence. It's exciting to see God work. Perfect time, perfect place, perfect person. Now there's some great messianic prophecies in Isaiah. But this is the most powerful of all, where this guy's reading. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb that is silent before his shears, so he does not open his mouth. Who can relate this to his generation? For his life is taken from him. He's put to death. And the eunuch says, who's this talking about? 
First Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? No, how can I unless someone helps me and explains it to me? Who's Isaiah talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about somewhere else? And beginning right there, Philip preaches Jesus to him. He shows him how Jesus is the fulfillment of that messianic prophecy. Why he came, why he had to suffer, why he had to die for the sins, the transgressions of his people to whom the stroke was due, right there, Isaiah 53. But that's where he began. And then he was able to point out other messianic prophecies so that he could see that all these prophecies were filled, fulfilled in the life of Jesus. He, he, eunuch knew about Jesus. He was there during the feast days. He probably saw him die as he was crucified. Undoubtedly, he heard about all the miracles Jesus did. Probably heard about the empty tomb and the message of the resurrection. And now all of a sudden, he can see from the scriptures, this Jesus, he has to be the one. The prophecies are fulfilled in him. And Philip must have talked to him about baptism because all of a sudden the eunuch goes, hey, here's some water. I don't know, a stream, a pond, whatever. Hey, is there any reason why I can't be baptized right now? And what did Philip say? Well, have you been good? Have you been holy? Are you worthy of heaven? Have you reached the level of righteousness that God requires? Do you have enough good works? No, salvation is not by works, it's by faith. So all Philip had to say is, well, do you believe? He said, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. And they go down in the water and he baptizes him. And then Philip snatched away. That's the same word for the rapture, when we are snatched away. A little preview of coming attractions because Philip was in one place and the next thing he knows Bam, he's somewhere else, Azotus. This is what's going to happen to us. Well, one generation, for sure, could be us. All of a sudden we're here, and the next thing we know, we're somewhere else, and it's heaven. He just snatched away. And the eunuch goes on his way, rejoicing. Simon saw signs and wonders and came to make a profession in Christ for the wrong reason. Didn't get what he wanted bitter in his heart. Try to use God for your own personal gain, for your own pleasure, whatever. You're going to end up being sadly disappointed and bitter in heart. Both made profession of faith. Both were baptized. One was a true conversion. One was not. So this morning, which category are you in? Paul said this, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Do you not know this about yourselves, that Christ is in you unless you fail the test? If you're here today in church because you're hoping that maybe with some church attendance, God will protect you from the virus, It's the wrong reason. What happens when the virus is gone? You have no more need for God. You have no more use for God in your life. And if somebody in your family gets sick, you're going to be bitter toward God the rest of your life. Examine yourself. 
Are you really here because you want to know God better? You want a closer relationship with God, a closer walk with God? You sincerely desire God to use you to accomplish His will and His work. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves. Make sure that you're the wheat and not the tear. There are probably some tears among us today. Make sure that you're the eunuch and you're not Simon. Let's pray.